Welcome back, Dodecadorks. We're the 12 sided guys. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> we have Matt playing Pine. Hi. Scott playing Roos. That's me. Sabrina playing Nari. Hey there. Jordan playing Richter. Good evening. Ooh. What? <laughs> and me, Paul, playing with my hair. Um, <laughs> if you've made it this far, then I think it's safe to say that it's official. You love us. And you know what? <laughs> we love you too. <laughs> like, like. <laughs> if you want to spend more time with us, then consider going to Patreon for more content and our Discord server where we can share little messages and pass notes back and forth. Oh, wouldn't it be so cute to have matching outfits? We can get those at the 12 Sided Guys shop at 12sidedguys.com. <laughs> but I think we should make it officially official and tell everyone about our love in the form of five-star ratings and reviews on your podcasting app. Anyway, if you ever charmed the pants right off of Ozzy's head, then this podcast is for you. It's the Crystal Codex, episode 86. Well, welcome back to the city of Almar. Guess what, Dodeca dorks? Richter's here, and it's about to get bloody. <laughs> Roll initiative. <laughs> that, that is what's going to happen here really, really soon. Welcome back to the city of Almar. Last time we were together, uh, our players explored the city a little bit. They went and found a nice inn to go and stay at. They took a nice bath. They learned some rumors about things that were going on, including something about like strange dreams and having trouble sleeping. And more importantly, that Tedward is in town performing tonight. Woo! As they wandered through town after discussing some of the, some of the goings on that they'd already heard about, Bruce got a special letter from somebody and inside were two pieces of paper. Both of them were warrants for his arrest. And they were both Howling Talon specific warrants. Also, as they were wandering through town, they ran into an old friend, I guess, potentially. Mordecai, the prophet of the angel Iramiel, was there in the city and Iramiel spoke directly through him. As he was speaking and basically telling our players that, hey, I told you to stay away, but now that you're here, it's on. Some of our players were perceptive enough to see the prophet Mordecai himself actually aging just from the strain of channeling the angel Iramiel. Nari and Pine and Roos decided to let uh, Mordecai go, seeing him as potentially a victim in all of this as well as they are. And they continued on to buy tickets for the show for Tedward for that night. Oh, damn it, guys. I forgot to get an extra room key so I could throw it up to Tedward on stage. <laughs> hey, I've got my bra still on. <laughs> Not for long. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, as they were leaving the opera house after buying tickets for the balcony, this is high end. This is not your your barroom show. This is like the 
event of the, well, I'd say of the season, but it kind of happens a couple times a week. But anyway, this, Almar is such a big city. This is a very lavish, uh, lavish building and a big theatrical um, event. But as Nari, Pine, and Roos were leaving the opera house, they spotted a couple of unsavory folk watching them from the alley. And they heard one of them talk about how there was an old man with a sword and cat ears. And as they were coming towards Nari, Roos, and Pine, they saw another figure standing behind those unsavory folk. Somebody that Pine recognized right away. Richter, Lieutenant General retired, Menorese military, and contemporary of Pine. He was a little snot-nosed brat. <laughs> I was gonna say last time they were together, it did not end well. I got 15 years on that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where we ended last time with these ruffians coming rushing out towards Roos, Nari, and Pine, and Richter had just gone into one of his sword stances. And that is where we're gonna start right now by rolling initiative. Pine rolled a 12. And Crumbles rolled a six. Roos rolled a seven. Nari rolled a three. Richter rolled a 20. So here we are out in the courtyard outside of the Dracia Opera House, which real quick, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Chicken So Tasty, who actually helped me make this map as I was streaming on Twitch. So thank you, Chicken So Tasty. That chicken, so tasty. I guess I could say your real name. His real name is Colonel Sanders. <laughs> hey, finger looking good. You tell me what those secret spices are. Wait, wait, you just said finger looking. Have you have you guys ever seen Constantine with Keanu Reeves? Oh, oh gosh. yeah, yeah. When that demon guy looks him straight in the face and just goes, finger looking good. I love that line. <laughs> oh, that was a weird one. I'm not going to lie. All right, here, get, sorry, give, give me just one second, guys. I'm sorry. I'm pretty much cutting everything we've recorded so far, so it's all good. <laughs> oh, God. All right, we are going to start up at the top of the initiative with Richter, just so everyone knows kind of how things are. Um, more up in the north part of the courtyard, leaving the opera house, we have Pine, Crumbles, Nari, and Roos. And then a little bit further south, coming out of an alleyway, we have four thugs. Two of them look kind of mean with a mace. One of them is wearing like a robe of some kind and the other one um, doesn't seem to have any weapons at all. And then a little bit further south of them, we have Richter. And we're gonna start up at the top, initiative 20 with Richter. Yeah, so Richter had kind of pulled his uh, his arm to the side and in a flash of light, uh, his estoc appeared in his right hand. And he had said, the frozen blade spells disaster, frigid retribution stance. And with this round, he is going to go ahead and make his movement right up behind one of these individuals here in this group with the hood. Oh, okay. And make two attacks at that individual with the S-Stock. Why him? <laughs> why not one of the other guys? Yeah, why not one of the peon guys? <laughs> I mean... Okay, go ahead. Make your attacks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So his, his first attack is an 18 to hit. That will hit. With 15 piercing damage. Nice. And then the second one is a 21 to hit with 13 piercing damage. 
Awesome, nice hit. 28 damage right off the bat to the uh, to the robed individual. Um, Richter is now down here all by himself. He's got, he's kind of surrounded actually by a couple of these kind of greasy looking mean dudes. And then this guy with the hood. The guy who doesn't have any weapons is very large, and bulky. I mean, just strapped with muscle, um, but he's a little bit further off. And Richter's turn is over, which now brings us to these mean guys. There's two of them. And they look kind of, uh, let's see, mean. Mean. Yeah, we'll call them. We'll call them the meanies. So these two mean guys, they surround Richter, and one of them yells out, "Wait, this is the guy we're after!" And they are each going to take two attacks on Richter. The first one pulls out a mace, taking two swings, and that is going to be a twelve or a twenty-two. The twenty-two will hit. Six damage. The moment he hits Richter, in a flash, kind of does a quick repost and flashes out with this um, kind of blast of cold energy. And that individual takes 25 cold damage. Wow. Nice. Um, Level five warlock spells. That's hella cold, man. (laughs) Yikes. Okay, well, that guy is hurting very, very badly. And the next guy, he thinks twice, but he's still going to swing as well. So he's going to take two attacks. And that's going to be a 20 and a 22. Yeah, those will both hit. <laughs> I think I think this guy's gonna die. Um, <laughs> that's gonna be eleven more damage, and then he takes twenty-five times two. He takes fifty damage. Is that what happens? Oh my I, gosh! I think yeah. so. Let me see. If they hit you with a melee attack, while I have my temporary HP, which I've got twenty-five temp HP, the creature takes five cold damage per spell level. So it's level five. So it's yeah, twenty-five damage per melee attack. Uh, this guy hits you twice and you repost and just destroy this guy. Um, this is actually probably the same move that Richter would have done in that opening uh, little thing that we read a couple of episodes ago, right? You just destroy the guy before he even has a chance to do anything. All right, well, that is the mean guy's turn. Next, we have the hooded individual. He looks very, very shocked at R- what Richter just did to one of his uh, compatriots. And he points a finger at you and he casts a spell. And I'm going to need a charisma save from you. Oh, wait, you're a warlock. Well, anyway, I'm going to need a charisma save from you. Okay. Difficulty 14. Okay. I got a 19. Okay. This seems like the energy hits you and just disperses around you. And the spell has no effect. Um, he then is going to look over at the big guy and say, help me! And then he is going to start to move away from you so you can get a uh, attack of opportunity. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So a 15 to hit. A 15 will hit, yes. Okay. Or 14 piercing damage. And this guy is hurt, but what he does is he actually runs a little bit further north back towards Nari and the boys, and then he tucks back into an alleyway. Um, and just for... Uh, for game purposes, he is on the edge of the map now. Um, and if he gets out of the map, then he will be gone from this combat. But he was that did not have quite enough movement to do it this time. All right. Pine, you are up. Uh, I think Pine is completely dumbfounded with what he is currently seeing. Let me I'm gonna make a wisdom saving throw, if that's cool. Okay. Sure. That was a nat one for a nine. So he's going to just sit there on Crumble's back with his jaw open for the whole round. The end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh. I think that that is, um, that, that makes 100% sense. All right. That brings us now to Roos. 
Bruce, you're up north with uh, Nari and Pine as well. You can kind of hear what's going on, but you might not be able to see that clearly. You do see somebody fall down dead as this um, this older gentleman has impaled him with the S-talk. Okay. Bruce is going to move his his uh, move forward about 30 feet. He can see the hooded guy who had ducked around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to throw my chakram at that guy. Okay. For oh, well, that's not great. For a 15 to hit, that will hit. Spellcasters, man, what, what oh. you gonna do? <laughs> For 10 damage. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> hey, Paul. There's a spell called Mage Armor, and there's another one called Shield. Uh, no, he's got Mage Armor. <laughs> <laughs> then he. Then I'm gonna. I mean, I might as well. I'm gonna offhand. You know, uh, Squire is gonna hand it to me again. And I'm going to throw it again. I love the visual of Squire running back and forth between you and your enemy <laughs> to fetch your frisbee. Yep. Right. Oh. 23 to hit that time. That will hit how much damage? Seven damage. All right. Okay. And that will be Roos's turn. And as as you throw the shotgun the second time, you watch this guy crumple to the ground. Roos is done. It is now the burly guy with the muscles and no weapons at all. He looks up at you, Roos, and he points at you, draws a thumb across his neck, but then turns back to Richter, and then he says, you're mine, as he rushes Richter. And he is going to take three attacks. Ooh, bring it on. Uh, A critical hit. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Dang it. And then a 16 and a 25. The 16 will not hit, but the others will. Okay, so we got a critical hit, and then we've got a regular hit. So the critical hit is actually going to do 28 damage on the crit. Oof, yeah, that's that's gnarly. So that'll take out all of his temporary HP, but does, I think he still takes the yeah 25 yeah, he gold, does. right? Okay, He does, yes, I'm pretty sure he does. And then uh, that was the one, the critical hit, and then the other one that he deals is actually going to be 18 more damage. Jeez. This guy is punching you. He's just like, he's like this massive brawler. As he hits you, there's like more than just, you know, fists. There's some kind of power behind his strikes. Um, But that is his turn. And it is now Crumbles' turn. All right, so Crumbles seeing somebody who, I mean, to a a Laton, probably looks just like his master, um, getting attacked, is going to rush into action. And so Crumbles is going to charge the 60 feet with Pine, Napoleon dynamiting on his back uh, <laughs> towards the big burly guy. Uh, so that's 60 feet to get uh, 55 feet, actually. So there's, there's okay. just a little bit of space left. And then is going to go ahead and do his horn attack. Okay. It's a 20 to hit. That will hit. Okay. And that's 12 uh, piercing damage. And on top of that, because... He moved more than 20 feet in a straight line toward the creature. Um, that guy has to make a DC 14 strength saving throw or be knocked prone. He got a natural 20. He turns around and knocks crumbles prone. No, I'm just kidding. No, he, he, uh, he, he, you surprise him and stab him with the horn, but he just kind of turns and takes it a little bit. And he's standing there. Um, he looks like he's used to this kind of situation where he's got multiple opponents from multiple sides. One of them is riding on a rhino deer. It, you know what? Seeing a 76-year-old man riding a rhino deer um, with his <laughs> mouth hanging open going, whoa, um, nothing new to this guy. All right. That brings us to Nari. 
Okay, well, Nari, seeing that uh, Mr. Pine has ran off, uh, she is actually just going to use her turn to do a double movement and to follow him um, and try to get as close to this uh, big buff dude as possible. Okay. You are now just a couple feet from him, but it is Richter's turn. Richter is going to pull his S-stock up into a type of military salute and he's going to face this large muscled individual and he's going to say your sins are exposed under the light of the sun mark of the dawn and um, he effectively has marked this person for judgment is that how I sound? do I sound that pompous when I do my sword (laughs) stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so he'll go ahead and make his two attacks against this individual Okay, the, the buff burly guy? Yep. Okay. First one is a 12 to hit. Ugh. That will miss. Okay, let's try our second attack. 24 to hit. Much better. That will hit. And this will do... We'll need to add plus 4 damage to this roll. Okay. So it'll be 18 piercing damage. Nice. And that's that is it for his turn. This guy is bleeding from multiple wounds. Um, He looks like he is uh, hurting pretty bad. But it is now the mean guy's turn. The mean guy who is uh, on the other side of you, Richter. And he's just so mean. He's just so mean. What a meanie. Anyway, he took took a kid's lunch money this morning. (laughs) Anyway, he, um, oh, golly. Hey, that's something I did not see the first round. He is going to make two more attacks at you, Richter, this time with advantage thanks to pack tactics. Oh, brutal, okay. It's a 21 to hit. Yeah, that'll hit. And that's gonna be only three damage. (laughs) Okay, I'll take that. The the second one is a critical hit. Oh, geez. And that will be only only 11 damage. (laughs) Okay, I mean, I've, I've taken a pretty good pounding. Richter is kind of breathing heavily. There is blood now coming from several wounds, but he certainly still has a fire in his eyes. Well, this guy who just hit you, he yells up to the burly guy. He's like, he's got reinforcements. Get out of here. And he's going to start leaving as well. He's going to not disengage. He's just going to turn and start running down a different alleyway. Richter, you can take another attack opportunity if you would like to. Richter, you've been dealing with people like this for a while. This is definitely the biggest or the most um, effective group that has attacked you yet. You know, I think I'm going to let that guy go and save my reaction in case early guy tries to do something against me. Okay. Well, it is now Pine's turn. Pine, you are still aboard Crumbles. Now you can see even more clearly uh, your old ally, Richter. Um, okay, well, seeing this and, and having lost the previous round, um, Pine is going to gather himself and uh, quickly slip off of uh, Crumble's back to kind of close in here on the big burly guy. First off, he's making uh, eye contact the entire time with Richter, like staring daggers. Uh, and uh, he'll just say behind him to Crumble's, Go get the fleeing one. And then he's going to say, This blade, lights of the firmament made manifest, flare of the day star, as my bonus action. And then I'm going to take two attacks on this guy. Okay. First one's a 23 to hit. That'll hit. 
Okay, so he takes 8 piercing damage, 2 cold damage, 14 radiant damage. He's got to make a DC 16 con save, or he's blind. Okay, he is he is permanently blind as you slice right through his eyes. Oh. Chopping the top of his head off. That'll do it. Oh, wow. I wanted to do more overkill and further impress the Richter with a, with a Swordmaster's Fury. Okay. <laughs> you go to stab again, and the guy's already crumpled to the ground. Um, fine, you have one more attack. You have some move as well. There's this guy down here to the south who's fleeing. Pine will actually, uh, again, locking eyes uh, with Richter. He'll quickly do a sword salute and then rush past with the remainder of his, uh, I think he's got about 30 feet of movement. When Pine basically dispatches that big strong guy, uh, Richter looks a little disheartened. He's like, no, but he quickly kind of snaps back to attention to kind of pay attention to any other thing that's happening in terms of combat. Awesome. This is this is already going so great. We're really just rebuilding that relationship we had before. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, you got one more attack, fine. All right. And that's coming at this guy down here. It's only a 22 to hit. I rolled a 12, but I'm going to go ahead and use my plus 10 that I can do once per short rest. Okay. I'm, I'm going to let you know the 11 would have done it. <laughs> or the 12 would have done it. <laughs> oh, it would have. Okay. <laughs> AC is 11. <laughs> but go ahead. Deal some damage. Uh, that's... Uh, oh, geez. I'm rolling terrible on my damage rolls. That's a one for a seven piercing one cold, and then I will say, unleash with precision, Swordmaster's Fury, and I'll do a level one, so it's additional nine damage on top of that. Okay, awesome. I let you do it anyway, even though it was overkill, because you took him out with your first blow. You gotta tell me these, okay, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> uh, we wanted to show off for Richter. I'm, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm behind a corner. Richter can't see this. <laughs> You're just laughing at this dude's head for no reason. Uh, look at this, guys, I did it with one blow. All right, guys, well, hey, it looks like you guys are here in the Dracia courtyard with four dead bodies scattered around, and we are going to cue victory music. I did it, friends. I did it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. As you guys are standing here in this courtyard, uh, there's some houses like around the edge. In fact, these alleyways that you guys are uh, were kind of fighting around, um, they're alleys that go between these kind of nice, uh, expensive houses. And you can see that there are people in the courtyard who are scattering. This whole fight took like 12 seconds and people are still kind of running away. Um, and you hear people calling out, get the guards, get the town guards. And here you are um, with four bodies lying around. Richter, you would know, um, having been here in Elmar, it might not be a good idea to be around when the town guards show up. 100%. So Richter dismisses his blade in a quick flash and he turns to the group and he says, there is no time for further discussion. You should follow me to a safer place. And uh, I'm going to try to get out of this town square and make a windy path so as not to hopefully be followed back towards safer lodgings. Okay, perfect. You know of a couple places that you could go that are kind of public. Um, you also do own a home here in town. I don't know if, how much I've told you about your house. Maybe I should just send you a little text about your house. Sure. You guys talk amongst yourselves. This f- guy thinks he's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, Nari. 
Um, I think because Crumbles is so conspicuous, uh, Pine is basically going to slap him on the rump and say, Go, kid! And uh, as Crumbles goes running off through the courtyard, he kind of fades out as he starts to round a quarter. All I'm saying is it seems like this guy is very full of himself. <laughs> well, he's definitely stealing my style. <laughs> he reminds me of someone, but I, I can't quite place it. <laughs> it. It's like the ears or like the sore... I, this is going to take me a minute, guys. <laughs> Something about the way he speaks reminds me. Well, he may be pompous and he may be an ass. He may be a pompous ass, but I think we can follow him. Come on. Yeah. So Richter leads them kind of on a windy path um, through one and then two kind of crowded areas winding his way through and then into a back alley over to a sewer entrance and then pulls the lid and says, quickly, down into the sewers. But I just took a bath. There will be time for bathing later. There's much that we need to speak on. But quickly, we need to get out of the open. Pine will jump in and half expecting Richter to then close the gate and say, ha, sucker. (laughs) (laughs) Nari is going to be right behind muttering like something about smelling bad. Will Crumbles fit in the sewer? Oh, I dismissed Crumbles. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Yeah, he slapped his booty. (laughs) Just for the heck of it. Yes. Anyway, so we drop down into those sewers and then Richter continues to kind of lead everyone on a windy path. Okay. Hey, let me... I'm, I'm cleaning up my, my uh, desktop. Is that why we can't see ourselves? You can't see yourselves because I'm an idiot and I didn't put you guys on the map. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> no <laughs> argument there. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> oh, guys, I've missed this. I really, really have. Um... Man, I sure wish someone had a red candle around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, Nori, that's me. Oh. And I'll go ahead and pull up my red candle. <laughs> Ding! All right, perfect. As you guys descend down into the sewers, uh, before you close the lid, you can hear the footsteps or the, the pounding feet of, of armored boots uh, rushing towards the, uh, the Dracia Opera House kind of courtyard area. Um, Almar sees its fair share of, like, uh, trouble in the streets. Um, trouble in the streets. <laughs> I knew it. All right. No, Almar sees its fair share of violence or like crime in the streets and stuff. But I mean, dead bodies, especially four of them in so quick a way. And these guys were obviously um, combatants. These were obviously trained warriors to just this was less uh, a skirmish and more a battle. Um, so, uh Yeah probably best to get out of there but you guys start to descend down um into this sewer and as you there's like this stone staircase that leads down towards the spillway where water goes through uh to drain from the the city and it drains all the way out into the bay and you guys come down into this uh this room with these passageways uh going uh off in two different directions you guys can just kind of make your way meander through and try to find the other staircase as you guys talk why not uh richter is going to say I apologize for taking you down into the sewers. Uh, Speak softly down in this place. While it is safer than being on the surface at this time, the sewers are not without their own eyes, if you understand my meaning. Yeah, we've been, uh, we've been in some underground locations before under the cities. He's going to kind of 
grunt to that. Hmm. So, I didn't think I'd see you again anytime soon. You still with Fallen Heaven? <laughs> yes. Yes, there's, uh, there's much that we should speak on relative to that. This is not how I planned for a reunion to transpire. As soon as he says Fallen Heaven, Nari too is going to kind of like put her hand on Rusa's shoulder and just feel sus. Hey, and Paul, yeah, can you, I don't know if there's a way for you to be able to like, I'm guessing Richter would know his way through the sewers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the end. The exit's over here. I just, I made this map and I wanted to use it. Um, you guys can just stay put. It's not a big deal. I just like it. I, I, I like the map. Oh, the map is, map is awesome. Oh, thank you. How did you imagine us reconnecting? Well, not under combat. That's for sure. There's, there's things that I would speak with you about, Temrid. Um. I don't know how to address these topics. This has never been something that I've been particularly strong in. Hmm. Surely you've, um... I mean, I imagine that word of our exploits have gotten back to your ears. <laughs> uh, your exploits is a bit of an understatement. Um, what you and your companions have done for Fallen Heaven were legendary during the time of the Empire before the shattering happened. Um, we owed you a tremendous amount. The contributions that you and your companions made to the to the effort, it was some of the greatest help and advancement we had during our entire time operating clandestinely throughout the Empire. I mean... Excuse me, I don't mean to uh, interrupt, but when you say we, could you expand on that? Um, yes. So, Fallen Heaven, I, I know that you came into contact with many other members of our of our operations throughout the old Everlyn Kingdom, correct? We may have heard of such a thing. So to provide a bit of backstory, uh, after Minarest fell, um, there was a period of chaos, and... Many of us who had survived were a bit listless and trying to survive in the underground. N not literal underground, but trying to avoid the eye of the Empire. Steadily, we began to make contact with one another. Uh, old military comrades, soldiers, uh, people that were just trying to survive. Initially, the communications were purely to check up on one another. Uh, Timrid, as you know, being a military man, there is a brotherhood and a kinship there that is uh, not easily cast aside. At first, those communications, you could say, were more innocent, just checking in on one another, good to hear a kind voice. We would meet in, you know, quiet, hushed tones and speak of days of, of the past. But then the communications began to change in their tone. We began to make note of Imperial troop movements, of supply line locations, of high-profile and important figureheads visiting certain locations. Due to some of my own family's uh, connections, we were able to use some of the merchant and shipping trade that was happening throughout the Empire to start 
circulating messages and missives to other groups that had begun to form and operate. Once we got to a certain level of strength, we were able to begin operating more overtly against the Empire, uh, subterfuge, sabotaging supply lines, plotting high-profile assassinations, things of that nature. And while it was never a highly organized or centralized group, we always operated in our individual cells. But the communication was, I should say, fairly robust given the limitations. And the information that we were able to glean off of Chancellor Ramsey, he was not one that was willing to give or divulge information readily, but uh, something about his mannerisms seemed to have shifted after having met you and your companions, Temrid. And frankly, the boost that that gave relative to the city of Tavery and into Arkelvi itself, you reinvigorated the movement. And we saw greater progress during those few months than we saw throughout many years as an, as an organization. We owe you a significant amount. I am... I don't know what to say. Honestly, this is not how I imagined the conversation going, given our previous meeting. I believe I still owe you a duel, if I remember correctly. Yes, well, that was, to be fair, many, many years ago. And certainly you wouldn't want to take up that challenge, I hope. He uh, acknowledges or kind of leans forward, showing the gash that's openly bleeding on his forehead and a cut on his arm from the combat that they that you were just involved in. Oh, a little bit of sympathy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pine will actually a little roughly like grab him on the arm that's hurt and say, Good pussy. <laughs> <laughs> What he'll actually do is he'll pull the arm kind of closer to look at it and say, this is a minor wound. You'll be fine. And I'm going to go ahead and give you 15 points of commander's morale. Awesome. Very kind. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Come on, let's let's be on the move. I'd rather be able to speak in a place that's a little bit more comfortable. As you guys continue your way through the sewer, um, you guys have been walking along. You find that there's some gates you have to open and and Richter has the key for them. Um, and at one point you find another staircase that goes up and it leads uh, up towards this like five foot by five foot square door that opens up like a trap door, but it has multiple locks on it. And Richter pulls out four or five different keys to get it open. And when it does open up, it leads into this basement of a house and we'll just kind of walk you through just real quick this house um you can tell just by moving through this basement that whoever lives here lives well as you move up through the from the basement into the the first floor you can see this house is very well made uh rugs and paintings and um you know stonework that kind of thing no vases uh, just vases <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> but like nice vases too yeah um and and so um jordan i think that you'd probably take them up to the second floor um where you actually have a little bit of like a conference room and there's nobody else who we like pass in the house nope the house is empty so uh richter takes you guys up the stairs uh through the first floor up the stairs to the second floor you pass uh down this hallway you can see multiple doors you can see another hallway branching off further south but um, he leads you into this room 
that has a nice carpet on the floor. There is a painting on the wall. There's a big table in the middle of the room with, you know, scrolls and maps and notes and that kind of thing stretched across it and multiple chairs around the table. Um, Richter, this is a place where you would have spoken with maybe some of your informants or maybe you would have had meetings with, you know, a cell leader of uh, Fallen Heaven or maybe even this might be a place where you would have spoken with Chancellor Ramsey himself. Got it. Cool. Welcome to, to my home. Everyone, you are safe here, and uh, we can rest here for, for as long as we need to. This is uh, quite a, a lovely place. How'd you find it? Well, I didn't really find it. I was, <laughs> I'll, I'll say fortunate. My parents passed when I was but a young lad, and uh, they had been able to amass a fair amount of wealth running a, a trading and mercantile empire, if you will. Uh, empire is a bit of a stretch. They were successful in establishing shipping routes and lanes, both by caravan and by, by boat, um, throughout Menarest, into Almar, and even into Old Everlin itself. Our primary manor was in the uh, east near the shores of Menarest, but, well, you see, Part of my family were Almarian themselves, and so we we had a small residence that we had purchased in the city itself for when we would visit. After my parents passed, I had assumed that this part of the estate had been lost, and um, when I came to the city, it was to my surprise that I saw that it was around and virtually unmolested, um, despite the shattering and some of the upheavals. It was not a large enough estate to have attracted much of the attention and that it had lain dormant for some time. It had the appearance of neglect. And so the people neglected it as well. They didn't turn their ire to it and it was unspoiled. And so I was able to take up residence here. Wait, this is where, is this where you led fallen heaven from? Uh, part of the time. Yes. I tried to stay on the move as much as I could. Um, it would be dangerous and would attract too much attention to establish a routine by being in one place for too long. But the fact that you were in the capital of the Almerian Empire while fighting against it, it takes balls, man. Richter very much smiles to himself and says, You know me, Temrid. I was always marked by being perhaps a little too brash and bold in my strategies. <laughs> Fair assessment. That's what I would have said at your court-martial if I'd been asked to attend. <laughs> Nari, Jesus. do you think they know each other? I, I, think, they, I think they might. I, I, I don't know if it's a sexual thing or just like a friendship thing or maybe an army thing. They're kind of weird about that. It's all three. <laughs> Do you think Pine got court-martialed? Yeah, I don't. I've never, never heard of the court-martial position. Nari will kind of like come to interrupt, and she will say, um, "So, uh, Richter, I, I assume you worked with Fallen Heaven as well." Well, yes, I. Um, some might say that I was perhaps the chief architect for Fallen Heaven. Nari's going to kind of fangirl out a little bit and like, <gasps> <laughs> oh, 
Oh goodness. Um, I, I also did some work with that organization. Uh, that's, that's fantastic. It's, it's good to know you're here for our cause. Well, yes, Nari Stormfist. I'm well aware of your, of your strength and abilities. It's quite (laughs) admirable. He's just a guy, Nari. He's just a guy. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. All right, now butter up, Roos. Come on, he's waiting. Well, I, I can't help but think of the bombing of Everly Manor and the methods approved by Fallen Heaven that we three disagreed with. Yes, a disapproval that, frankly, does not surprise me. Well, if you want to make an oblet, you have to break a few eggs. Well, that's, that's fine for um, unborn chickens, but these were innocents. Yes, the governor was there, and an adjudicator was there, and uh, a traitor to the Rose Syndicate were there. Yes. But there were also quite a few of the citizenry of Arkleby who were also there. I won't, I won't lie to you. I did not overtly resist their plan. I was also not there as the chief architect of that plan. There's, there were too many cells, and the time delay for sending a missive was too great, despite the cell stones that we would often try to use. Cell stones, yes, exactly what I would call them. <laughs> oh, do we call them sending stones? It's, it's become it's become canon that they're cell stones. Sabrina said that way back in like episode seven, and I think it's just become canon. Okay. <laughs> um, yes. Well, with the uh, with the sending or cell stones, depending on your uh, regional dialect, <laughs> we even even doing active collaboration on on any kind of large scale. Um, initiative was challenging to be fair and to be fair to be fair, <laughs> be fair. <laughs> I, I i did not oppose them in uh in their decision i knew that there would be collateral damage as did they and i can respect the fact that there are others who would who would deem that collateral damage to be too great in these circumstances however it was not lost on me that many of those people who likely would have been in attendance at such an event were likely uh, those that benefited the most from imperial occupation. And that while a harsh judgment to cast was perhaps not unwarranted if you were to try to liberate that city from imperial control or influence. But that's a whole different matter of discussion. And I can, again, respect the fact that others might disagree with that assessment. Nari is going to glare at uh, everyone else and just be like, it's not like any of us have ever made any mistakes that unintentionally hurt several people's lives and maybe broke a lot of things in them. Well, I think there's a difference between knowingly making a decision that will harm innocent people and trying to do what's right without understanding fully the consequences of your actions. Richter and I have often been at odds as far as strategic approach to a delicate situation. Yes. Yes. In complete honesty and acknowledgement of that, uh, Timrid is 100% correct. 
it was actually an area where he and I would regularly uh, butt heads when we were counseling with Field Marshal Kinnick. And after we'd have one of those, I would just turn to, to Tiny, my valet, and I'd say, huh, I only see one butthead here, and it's that guy. And I'd point <laughs> to you, and we'd both snicker, but I don't think you ever caught it. A good one. You you don't ever think I caught it, but I caught it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, what are you doing here now? I mean, the Empire's fallen, and obviously you're being hunted. Was that the... um? Were those the first swords? Is that what they call them, the first swords? Yes, there's um, there's quite a bit happening here in the old Almarian kingdoms and the old imperial seat. Yes, those individuals, I believe, were members of the first swords. There is quite a bit that's happened in the power vacuum that has followed uh, the imperial collapse. For a while, there were legitimate groups that were vying for control. But then the tone began to change. And while the outward faces still had the appearance of legitimate political groups, uh, trade factions and organizations, there was something brewing underneath, something that at the same time stabilized the outward hostility, but exacerbated the underground fighting and the calamities that were happening in the underworld. I myself found myself in the area specifically because I wanted to keep an eye on the cult of inevitability. There was a lot of danger in that religious ideology, and I wanted to at least better understand it. Um, and then I had my own personal reasons for coming back to Almar. Well, and at this point, Pine is kind of searching the room for a liquor cabinet to pour himself a drink, and he will say, Richter, Richter, kind of half acknowledging that, actually pulls a flask from his shirt and hands it to him. Pine will uh, walk over and head a little bit down, just quickly grab it from him and go to drink it. Um, and he takes a swig, and when he's done, he'll say, "We're actually here because of the cult of inevitability as well. Um, we have some leads within the city, and it might be useful if you could." Uh, mark some things on our map or give us some directions. Um, we have some places to search, specifically Eudoxia and the gallery, for vestiges of an ancient civilization. Hmm. Would this have anything to do with the recent deacon activity that They're has kind Ormex. of caused... They prefer the name Ormek. They? So you've been in communication with them? The fourth member of our party, Ebby, you may have heard of his name. Oh, yes. He was an awakened Ormek. That's right. There were rumors of this errant deacon that was on the loose. Ormek. Forgive me. Old habits die hard. Ormek. Um, yes, that's rather fascinating. Debbie, you said, right? Wow. Let's see. <laughs> Yes, she worked in accounting. Nari's about ready to lose her infatuation with this dude. She's pissed. Oh my god! Oh His name was Ebby, and uh, you've you've heard about the Ormex awakening, acting on their own. That is a direct result of his ultimate sacrifice for his people. Hmm. 
he uh, takes a beat, kind of looks down and says, I'm sorry to hear of his sacrifice. Um, indeed, whatever it was that transpired to cause this great change, um, it's caused quite a bit of uprising and, and upheaval within the, uh, within the Imperial cities themselves. And I would imagine throughout much of Pavantis, as you no doubt know, those, uh, Ormex were being used as servants for a lot of the wealthier homes. And in some cases they were elite bodyguards. And, uh, when they awoke, many of them were able to orchestrate basically an exodus they were gone. One morning, they were just no longer on premise for some families. Others found them awake and trying to escape. Sadly, in some situations, many of them ended up being put to death. Uh, poor fools that did not understand that these that these Ormex, as you call them, had souls of their own, apparently. Yes, rumor has it that large groups of them have already fled into the countryside. And um, I, I sa I'm sad to say that there are opportunists who occasionally will try to track them down. At least that is the rumor. Hopefully they can get to wherever it is they're going safely. And uh, there are also rumors that there are still pockets of them being held by some of those more well-guarded uh, and wealthier families here in the city itself. That won't stand. No, indeed, any form of subjugation to that degree should be met with swift retribution. That is not the way of the lords and ladies. They are... They are true people, these Ormex. They are more ancient than our people, than Menores, than even the, the city-states of Rakolia. He kind of looks up and then nods to himself. And then Richter says, that would make sense. Um, there were always rumors that the Empire had stumbled on various treasure troves, if you will, of these, of these beings, and that that was how they were able to spin up the Deacon program so quickly. Um, no one else quite understood how they would have come up with the technology to create these, these uh, constructs, if you will, in such short order. So to hear that they indeed had found them as part of an ancient civilization would track with the rumors that have been spread. They were completely incapable of creating or even truly awakening them, harnessing them for more than just brute force or menial tasks. We met with one of the most brilliant minds of the Empire, and she was absolutely blown away by what Ebby was able to do. Debbie? <laughs> Debbie was able to do it. Man, she could work a spreadsheet. Let me tell you. Uh, well, I will um I will defer to your knowledge on the matter. I am, it would appear, woefully ignorant of the situation as it has evolved. That is um that's refreshing to hear. I mean that with all respect, Richter. You and I Timrid. Yes. There is much that I have been woefully ignorant on. Oh, crap. I... I must say this, and it's good that your companions are here. From the bottom of my 
of my heart, I wish to apologize for the actions following the sacking of Redleaf. May I tell the story as, at least from, from my perspective? Is that the one that's the village hidden in the leaves? Well, kind of. Redleaf was a beautiful city built on a high cliff. Half of the city was on solid ground, the other half built into the canopy of massive, red-leafed, broad-leafed trees that grew within the canyon on the other side. Is there like a ninja Mount Rushmore <laughs> on the horizon? <laughs> well, I think you might be having a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> I... You can tell this story, Richter. But I just, I want to make sure, I want to make sure you know my meaning before anything else is said. I knew you as a brash, headstrong, motivated leader. Someone who wanted to win at all costs. Hmm. And my impression of you was that you were willing to throw anybody else under the bus, or carriage, because buses don't exist. <laughs> under the carriage wheels, to get what you wanted. And I, when I say it's refreshing to hear you, to hear your contrition, it's not, at least I hope it's not out of some petty desire on my part, because I know I can be petty. I know I can be petty. Well, no one is without their flaws, and... I, too, have my uh, demons that I wrestle with. It was no secret, as you know. You and I often butted heads when it came to matters of strategy. Um, I preferred the more decisive, bold actions, and I felt that sometimes your more measured approaches bordered on the, on the edge of cowardice. And it is that opinion that I acknowledge now was flawed. It was too absolute, and it ignored the experience and wisdom that you had gained as a military leader. I never questioned your conviction, Temrid. I never questioned your courage, and never questioned your ability to lead your troops. I did question your strategic decisions. In the instance of the sacking of Red Leaf, I saw what I thought of as indecisiveness as the reason for the failure. But almost all of us knew that the city would have been doomed no matter the decision. Had I been in your stead, perhaps I could have you know, left the city, followed the enemy army, and had a decisive victory in the field in which case the city would have still been subject to bombardment from the enemy airships. Difficult to call it a victory, if anything. And it would have likely still cost the lives of thousands of soldiers. Yes. At the end of the day, the tribunal and the council needed a scapegoat, Temrid. And they needed that so they could justify to themselves that they had not lost the war that there was still a chance to salvage it. In my pride and arrogance, I thought by, by eliminating my opposition in the 
military leadership, we could take bolder, more decisive action and turn the tide of the war. And that did not happen. I got my way and I failed. And Minaret still fell. You know, following your expulsion from the military, Kinnig was different. He was more despondent. He still led brilliantly, a, a wonderful leader, but it was like his right hand had been separated from him. He respected you tremendously, Temrit, and it destroyed him what was done that day. And I admired Kinnig like he was my own father. I know this. Over time, I began to acknowledge the fact that we had acted inappropriately as it related to you. And in the end, as Minrest was falling, both Kinnig and I shared the same belief. We wish you had been at our side through the remainder of the war. We could have used your wisdom. And so once again, Timrid, I am sorry for everything that we did to you and for those things that occurred to you afterwards. I honestly don't know how to feel because so much of um, what I've become in my later years, I now see has been tied up in this need to be vindicated, to be remembered well. <laughs> I um, Say it in Menorese. Merde. There you go. <laughs> I think we need a stronger drink. Yeah, you can tell them about the sacking of Redleaf. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wander your house if that's all right. <laughs> if you wander to the first floor, I believe I've got some better wine in the kitchen area. Feel free to grab a bottle or three and bring them up here. I'll be back. It may be a half an hour or so, but I'll be back. And Pine is going to leave the room to be alone with his thoughts for a while. Nice. As all this is going on, what are Nari and Roos's thoughts? I mean, I'm sure that Nari and Roos have heard stories about Richter, uh, you know, or maybe not stories, but you've heard Pine's reaction to even the mention of Richter. How are you guys feeling now? I mean, for Nari, it's a little bit of a, a conflict of interest. Like, she's so excited to meet someone who was so high up in the fallen heaven, but then to also, like, reconcile that that's someone who Pine had such difference with. It, she's very confused. For Roos, he had been contracted at with Howling Talon to seek out members of Fallen Heaven and imprison them for the Empire. You did a <laughs> job of that, though, didn't you, bud? <laughs> <laughs> no, he was very good at it, um, if you listen yeah. to his Session Zero. Yeah, he found Fallen Heaven within like three days. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. even in like the first couple episodes of the podcast. Um, Roos, even you know, after switching sides, if you will, and uh, turning against the Empire, still disagrees with some of the decisions made by Fallen Heaven. And, you know, along with the party, chose willingly not to work with them. He's a bit conflicted about this. He doesn't know what to think about Richter. All right. Well, as you guys are all hanging out here at Richter's house, 
Pine is wandering the house. Is there anything anybody else would like to do? I mean, honestly, at this point, I was thinking of just like watching Richter to kind of see what he does and then supporting Pine. How much time is it until the performance tonight? Oh, probably like at this point, maybe four, four and a half hours. Okay. There were some things that Roos wanted to accomplish before that happened. I think um, in the silence, so Pine steps away for a moment. And I imagine that there are a full four or five minutes of complete silence with Nari, Roos, and Richter in that room, um, which feels like an eternity <laughs> to them as Richter, as Richter, wow, as R- Richter. Kind of no, sips. change it because Ripter is a rad name. <laughs> Ripter, Ripter. Ripter is pretty ripping, yes. As he kind of sips his hip flask and stares into nothingness ahead of him, um, then he sees the fact that you two are also in there, also kind of despondent processing the information. So he stands up and he says, I've been a terrible host while you are here in the city. If you'd like, you may consider my home a place of refuge, and you may rest here. You have my word of honor as a as an officer of Minarest that no harm will come to you while you're in this home. If you'd like, we could go downstairs and perhaps get a bite of food. And uh, perhaps you can tell me a bit more of how I might be able to help you while you're here in the city. I do love food. <laughs> I knew I liked you. Let's go get some food. Did that work? Yeah. Yeah. We're there. Yeah. Oh, I think we're perfect. all in the kitchen. I, I, did you, did you copy and paste this? Yeah. Nice. Look at me doing control V's and control C's oh, and all man, that. Oh, man. Look at that cheese wheel. <laughs> 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 yeah. When you guys get down to the kitchen, Pine is down there with like a fistful of crackers, just like trying to get little slivers off with a knife. <laughs> um, he, so Richter kind of says, please help yourself to food. Um, I have more than enough and i try to keep a full larder as well to ensure that we have plenty in store there is a soft white which is particularly delicious i believe i have some fresh baguettes somewhere thank heck yes let's let's fill our stomachs for a minute we are planning on going to a performance tonight um if you're interested in coming with us you'll have to go and get tickets we're going to see tedward uh, you know, I in fact would be very interested and was planning to attend myself. Um, I'm less so to see Tedward and more so to keep an eye on perhaps some important individuals that might be there. Oh, well, have you been to Tedward's show before? Are you really going to make our Tedward experience into a spy experience, my friend? <laughs> <laughs> my dear, every experience is a spy experience. No, no, no. It's not a spy experience. I'm going to try and hook up with Pender. (laughs) Ooh, you're finally going to do it. (gasps) Five years later. (laughs) That is, I do have a, I I do have something somewhere else I need to go quickly before I make that decision. I mean, I hear there's a uh, rapid or tap it shop around the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Richter kind of eyes Roos a little bit suspiciously and says, and where is it that you need to go, if you don't mind me asking? I have 
a personal matter to attend to. And I also, I'm drawn to a building up in the old quarter. Um, I, I can't place exactly what the building was, but uh, it's important. Okay, I understand. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're the one that rumor has it had written a uh, message to the current usurpers, if you will, of the throne in Arkelvy. Yes, he's keeping my throne warm. <laughs> I love this. Flatulence will do that to a chair. It sure will. <laughs> he, he smiles broadly at that, and he's like, Well, your highness, I hope your stay here in Almar will be pleasant and enjoyable. I look forward greatly to the time when we might be able to depose that tyrant and see you rightfully installed on the throne to which you belong. I, that is the personal matter that I need to attend to. Maybe I'll fill you in after I attend to it, but uh, I think I need to shake things up a little bit more. Hmm. Is there anything I can do to help? Presently, no. Understood. Well, I know that you don't trust me, and I know there's probably no word that I can provide to help you gain that trust or to, to earn your trust. Richter, you can stop there. I knew I could trust you. That was never the problem. Dishonesty was, was never your vice. Richter looks at you, Pine, and kind of has, he's not smiling or, or anything of that nature. But you see him nod just ever so slightly towards you. He is he is acknowledging that that is very much the truth. Well, shall we be off? I think, may, you know what, it might be a good idea to change this blue coat. They were looking for a man in a blue coat with a sword, right? So, okay, green coat it is. So, sorry about that, by the way. I think I've I've ruffled a few feathers in my altercations with the first swords. And uh, I think they mistook you for me, perhaps, outside of that, uh, outside of the opera house. That must be so embarrassing for you. Um, <laughs> Pine, Pine will straight up, like, take off his blue jacket and pull out the green one that he purchased way back in his Arkelvy days before the shattering. And he'll wear that instead. Hmm. That's a wise play. Perhaps I should go find a, a, an alternate coat for myself uh, speaking of which does anyone need anything um different clothing bandages supplies i try to keep a decent store of things here just in case you guys can't keep changing your clothes i'm not buying more character art <laughs> <laughs> no this is paul this is classic final fantasy games where you got new armor but that didn't change your sprite at all <laughs> oh yeah 100 percent. Oh, yeah very good but the sword animation totally would change. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cuss, cuss. It'd go from blue to purple. Honestly, that's one <laughs> yeah. of the reasons why I liked Lagoon. Like one of the only reasons why I liked Lagoon was you got new armor and it actually changed the color palette of your armor. Oh, that like, was so groundbreaking. This is so cool. <laughs> cool. Um, Richter's going to step out, go to his bedroom, and he's also going to find kind of a little bit of a different, perhaps nicer, like overcoat. And maybe he'll even change out some of his stuff. He's also going to try to bandage himself and kind of take a moment to kind of recuperate. So if I could, I might take it as like a short rest. I think everyone can take a short rest. And while Richter leaves the room, 
Roos, Nari, and Pine, and it's the three of you again alone after, you know, um, probably maybe 45 minutes or an hour or maybe even longer of talking um, with Richter. But now it's the three of you again. A good chance to touch base. Man, that guy does seem kind of sus. A Pine. Nari says that she's eating so much cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so much cheese. <laughs> I'm glad she's in not in our room, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I did mean what I said, though. I do think we can trust him. I think that uh, what he says, we can take him at face value. I'll follow your lead on this. He was maybe a little opportunistic, but never... It, he always said what he meant, and he always kept to his word. I'm worried that if we're faced with a tough decision, that he might press us to make a choice that, that none of us would agree with. Yes. Wouldn't be the first time we've disagreed with each other, though. That's true. Typically, we have erred on the side of protecting those in need. Yes, yes. I mean, to be fair... To be fair... To be fair... To be fair... <laughs> I'll ask again, like, what, what has that done us? Not that I'm necessarily fully endorsing this person. I'm just saying that I don't know if erring on the side of caution has ever provided us any sort of comfort. We did kind of destroy a large portion of the world, even while erring on the side of caution. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Pine, but I've taken some of your words to heart. We've, we had a conversation years ago where you were describing to me the value of a single individual's life. And that stuck with me. And it's influenced the way I've tried to make choices since. Well, now I'm embarrassed because I just totally chopped down two people in the street. And <laughs> I'd been trying so hard to live up to that thought. And then it turns out all I needed to do was try to impress a playground bully and <laughs> completely forgot. Oh, man. Every life is precious. Now let's hack up these randos. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have names that you saw. Paul, what were their names? There will be obituaries. There was Tybalt. <laughs> there was Tybalt and Bartholomew. It better be Gob 2.0 because I do not want to be the only one dealing with this backlash. <laughs> <laughs> yes, one of one of those mean mean guys was a totally cute goblin. <laughs> they were not cute. <laughs> I was just gonna say he was not cute when we we encountered him. <laughs> they were like, Gob, Gob, please no. Save me. She's going to eat me. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the deal. Sorry, Roost, you can continue with what you were saying. I'm so sorry. I interrupted you. I just. No, it's fine. I just, the, the distinction that I've tried to create in my head between me and the Empire or any other organization that, is, that has tried to usurp power over other people is is this effort to fight for everyone and not just oneself. I think that um, seeking to do the most good won't often steer us wrong. Curse this murky, non-black-and-white world we live in. Wait, you guys can see colors? 
if I recall correctly, I remember talking with you and I said something about Shades of Grey and you said, I see colors, so I know it's canon already that you're not colorblind. Don't try to make that part of your character now, Rus. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's true. That's funny. As for me, my vote, I say we bring Richter along. If nothing else, he knows the city. And you saw, he has quite the sword arm. He was always a top student. You know, he used to be the blazing sun of the eastern sky. That's where I know him from. <laughs> He's also <laughs> clearly got great ties to organizations. I read books about him as a kid. You oh read books God. about him? Yeah. I mean, I knew they had trading cards, but... <laughs> I had all of his trading cards and all of the comics about him. <laughs> so how does Pine feel knowing that you were his equal and that there was no trading cards or books about you? <laughs> well, I mean... The School of the Storms wasn't all about that flash. We want, we want these, you know, the School of the Sun being so close to the Armenian Empire. They had a lot more visibility. We were off, we were off on the other side of the peninsula. We, yeah. Anyway, we didn't get a lot of press. At that point, Richter does walk in and says, "Yes, the School of the Blazing Sun was much, much cooler, if I do say so." You would. <laughs> Suck up. <laughs> Well, you were the ones publishing those cards and those comics, right? Oh, yeah, oh, I forgot. I... <laughs> the School of the Sun did have quite the publishing department. They had a whole PR firm and everything. Oh, yes, man. the journalism degree was quite prestigious. <laughs> <sighs> yes, well, Richter, I was just telling my companions here that uh, I think that in a pinch you would be an asset to us, and if you are interested in Seeing what we're going out to see, that uh, my vote would be to welcome you along. He nods and kind of bows slightly forward and says, I am deeply honored by that sentiment, uh, Pine. And um, if I may, I'd like to perhaps be a bit uh, honest with all of you regarding some of the things that I've been up to here in the city. And one of the reasons why I wanted to go to the opera this evening. To note, like, he is all cleaned up. There is not even a trace of wounds on him at this point. Um, and he's wearing a much nicer kind of dress shirt, vest, long duster that looks much nicer. You never see his sword on him, and it's because he doesn't carry it visibly. And so I think that's always something that's been a little bit, I guess, different with him. He never has it on his back. Even though his sprite does, he doesn't have a sheath or anything on his <laughs> on his side. Um, but he says to everyone, there is a group that you know of called the First Swords, and there is a leader of that group, an individual known as the Headsman. And the rumor was that this particular individual was going to be at the performance this evening. I've been trying to locate this person for months and so when I had heard that he apparently was an avid Tedward fan, as we all are, I knew that I needed to be there. I mean, rightfully so. To I, be fair, he, who isn't? Yes. <laughs> we um, need to stop saying to be fair. <laughs> yes, to be fair, we use to be fair very often. And so that was my rationale for wanting to go to the opera this evening. Uh, if you will be there as well, perhaps I could just ask you to keep an eye or ear open 
for sight of an individual named Bartos. Bartos. I want everyone to make history checks. Hmm. Bartos. That's a 23 for Pine. A solid four for Nari. Bruce got a five. Do you want me to roll that as well? You might already know it. I think you already know the information I'm going to be giving. Pine. Uh, Bartos, you recognize that name. In dealing with political things uh, way back when Menarest was still a country, as well as dealing with the Empire invading and all that, um, you recognize the name Bartos as an adjudicator. And um, Bartos, that name, the only reason why it sticks out to you is because even back when Menarest was a country the first time, so 15, 20 years ago, Bartos was already an adjudicator. So Bartos was an adjudicator for a very long time. He was the oldest and longest um, serving adjudicator. That is what you know. And um, Richter, I think you already knew that. Um, and if you want me to give a description of what they'd be looking for, I can give you that description too. Yeah, that, that'd be great. I, I would have Richter relay this to them so they have at least uh, something to kind of cue off of. Sure. You mean Bartos, the adjudicator Bartos? <laughs> yes, one and the same. <sighs> I'm, I gotta say, killing adjudicators is a little old hat for us. To be fair, he's not an adjudicator anymore. <laughs> I had heard rumors that you, uh, that you individuals were quite adept at this very thing. Never like on purpose, though. We did leave one alive. <laughs> kind of accidentally on purpose. Oh, it's very magnanimous of you. Well, she was very cute. <laughs> Pretty sure Nari would have never forgiven herself if Kippen had died. Um, no, so, Rick, do you know that Bartos is, he's an older man. He's not quite as old as, like, Pine, um, but he's somewhere around, uh, like, in between Richter and Pine's age. Let's see. Um, he's a thin man. He's older. He's got... He's got brown skin, he's got black hair. He is always seen with people around him, like um, muscle, basically. But um, but not like overtly like wearing armor and carrying swords, but you can tell that he's surrounded by bodyguards. But um, he has this air about him of importance without coming across as arrogant. That'd be kind of the description you would give, but to be fair, Oh, gosh. <laughs> to be fair, Richter has not seen Bartos in, at this point, um, probably a few years. Yeah, I would imagine he stays very much kind of underground. And this Bartos is the headsman, as far as you know. Yes, yes, that is correct. Well, uh, yeah, we can be on the lookout for him, right, everyone? Just be cautious. We all know how powerful an adjudicator, even a retired one, can be. I just, I don't want this to disturb my Ted word experience. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. And Pender. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot, that guy's going to be there too. Um. Yes, yes, Roos, we know Pender's going to be there. <sighs> well, okay. It's a deal. I... I'm much appreciative of that. And in exchange, if you would, I would very much like to help you on your uh, on your particular errands and missions as well while here in the city. Uh, yes, and um, 
our particular errands in the city. Some of them are personal, Roos, yes. But they, uh, they tend to be quite lofty as well. Lofty? We have some pretty significant goals for ourselves here in the city. <laughs> well, I like that. It would be a, it's a bold thing to have lofty goals. Look at you, having bold goals yourself. <laughs> I can't tell if you're patronizing me or if you're like really impressed that an old man would still, you know, have this kind of drive. Eh, it's a little bit of both. <laughs> I figured. <laughs> you know, now that we don't work together, I, you're not you're not half bad. <laughs> well, I've gotten punched in the face far too many times to keep being as arrogant and prideful as I was back then. Uh, I get the feeling I would have given myself a wedgie if I had met myself 25 years ago. Wouldn't we all, though? <laughs> Preach. I, I give Roos another five years, and then he'd be like, I can't believe I used to wear a sweater vest with no shirt underneath. <laughs> and that mustache, right? Oh, you know, hey, God, that mustache. You don't Jesus. know him well enough yet to talk about the mustache. <laughs> you're right, okay. you're right, you're right. Sorry. It's a beautiful stash. You haven't earned that yet. Oh. <laughs> Wait. You guys like the mustache, right? Oh, it's beautiful. It's lovely. Oh. flows like a river. Okay, because I, for for a minute there, I just got the impression that none of you liked my mustache. <laughs> what? Bruce, that mustache is so very you. <laughs> <laughs> it's golden like a spring dawn. It's it's lovely. It's a little thick there. It's a little thick. Um, and you know what? I, I, at this point, Bruce is a... Uh, his ego maybe is knocked down just a tiny bit, but then he remembers that there was one person who's here in town who didn't mind Roos's mustache. And his name is Pender. <laughs> okay, I think, I think we spent enough time in this, in this uh, kitchen. Shall we be off? Should I call a carriage? Oh, carriage. Wow, you travel in style. Well, we're in the, we're a bit of a nicer section of town. They will often just make the rounds here in the street. All we have to do is hang a sign outside the front door that says to ask them to stop. And so usually within a good 10, 15 minutes, a carriage will stop and we should be able to go. Let's do it. Yeah. Roos, you're in charge of the destination. We're going to follow you on this one. Well, I just, I only have a vague direction of where I'm going. I'm sure the carriage driver would love to have vague directions from us. It'll <laughs> <Okay>. be fine. <laughs> Carriage drivers, they love it, right? When they're like, turn left. I mean, turn right there. Oh, that looks like, I see it over that hill, maybe over that way. Carriage drivers love it. Let me pull up Legend Keeper. I might be able to navigate with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, that's so funny. Um, you could describe what the building looked like. Okay. You know, you knew it was a unique building. It was like multiple round sections connected by like short squatty towers. And then connected by lower buildings, you know, so, but, but it was, it wasn't like huge and you could probably describe it relatively easily and you know about where it's at. Okay. Yeah. So I'll just, you know, I'll describe yeah. where we're headed to the, to the driver and away we go. Sure thing. You guys all load up into this carriage and start heading north uh, from Richter's home. As you head um, towards the, uh, up north towards the old quarter where you had seen that building from above. You can see a little bit further south of the old quarter. You can see the Cathedral of Aramil, this massive church. You can see it over the rooftops as you skirt around that area and head uh, further north. After a couple of missed turns, you guys end up on the street called the Pious Path. 
which is a street that has multiple temples like right next to each other. There is a temple to Salandriel, um, there's a temple to uh, Lord Sicariel. There is uh, a temple of the Lost, which is a Lord and Lady of the Lost are both worshipped there. The Lord and Lady of the Lost are Jack and Kate. They sure are. Oh, man. Oh, gosh. That was um, so good. That was so good. Yes, it was so good. (laughs) That was so good. Yeah, there's a temple even of Lord Radriel. It just looks like a big, thick obelisk. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Thick, juicy obelisk. (laughs) I think you get what I'm getting at. Yes, exactly. Um, But right around the corner, just a little bit off of Pious Path, um, there is this um, strange-looking building. Um, But it looks quite popular. And it is actually, as you approach, Roos, you you recognize this is the building that you saw from above. Out in front, you see this statue of this golden demon-looking thing. He's more like an imp, like a kind of a, a mischievous imp. And he's got, like, his hands out, and they're just, like, piled with gold. And you would recognize that as a statue of Lord Balfa. Um, Lord Balfa, the Lord of Good Luck. And you also would know that Balfa and Jaffa, their temples usually are together. And so um, anyone who's ever been in one of these temples would know that the majority of the temple is given up to Lord Balfa, to the idea of good luck. And actually, really what it is, is it's just a fantasy casino. Okay. Oh, hell yeah. Um, We're doing a fantasy casino (laughs) episode. (laughs) But you also know that there is a small shrine somewhere on the grounds that is dedicated to Lady Jaffa. And oftentimes, the pattern a lot of people will will follow is they will go to Balta and Jaffa's temple and they will start in the shrine to Lady Jaffa and they will toss some coins to her in the hopes of her turning her eye away from them so that then the rest of the day they have good luck because the majority of people who worship Balta and Jaffa think that Jaffa is the lady of bad luck. But Roos... Has a coin to your Balta. Roos, <laughs> <laughs> you would know that Lady Jaffa, maybe her job's a little bit more intricate than that. And as you um, as you approach this temple, you can see that on the western side, the bulk of this building is definitely laid out for Lord Balfa. But on the eastern side, you can see that one of these small little squatty towers is for Lady Jaffa. Um, the, the furthest east entrance will take you into the shrine of Lady Jaffa. All right, guys, I, uh, I mean, y'all can go into the casino if you'd like, or into the temple of, of Baltha. Um, yeah, it's legitimate religious worship, Bruce. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need a moment with Lady Jaffa. Can I quickly say, though, while we were in the carriage and Roos was giving terrible directions, um, that Pine was trying to fill Richter in a little bit, maybe not all the details, but a little bit on, um, without divulging too much of our own guilt in the destruction of the world, some of the things that we've observed and the reason why we're here in Almar. To be fair, uh, <laughs> one of the things I was going to say earlier is you guys can always just pass the buck on to Ebby because he's the one who put the uh, the disc in the machine and pulled the switch, I think. so. This guy totally destroyed the world. <laughs> Ancient mad scientist put his own body into a robot, destroyed the world three times or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so true. Wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh gosh. All right. Okay, so as the rest of you kind of, I'm guessing you guys go into the the majority of the temple where there's different card games and dice games. Pine thinks he's good at poker. <laughs> awesome, very good. <laughs> um, Roos, you venture over towards the door to this eastern section of the temple. Roos, as you walk in, um, you see that the floor is a dark tile there's a little carpet on the floor that people can kneel on or maybe say a quick prayer. You see there's paintings along the walls. This place looks to be in disrepair, right? Not necessarily like somebody came in and ripped stuff up, but just that it seems neglected. Um, you can see on the furthest east wall of this kind of round room, there is a uh, dais and there is this bowl and it's full of gold. Um, and on the wall, there is this relief, which means a sculpture that comes out of the wall. And it's this face. And this face is, um, it's feminine, but it's also kind of demonic. It's got like horns and um, Roos, looking at this face, you recognize this is supposed to represent Lady Jaffa, but this isn't what she looks like. At least not according to the vision that you had. Yeah. And you are in here actually alone. Roos will walk up to the dais. It looks like there's um, a dish for people to throw coins in. Yeah. Roos will toss a coin in and just kind of speak idly into the empty room. I don't know how this is supposed to work. Never done something like this before. But I'm going to bounce an idea off you. You wouldn't let me speak last time, so I guess this is the only place that I can do it. Um, you hear a voice before you can finish your what you're saying, and it you see the face on the wall. The mouth starts to move, and it says, Thank you for your contribution. I shall turn my eye away from you. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Roos will chuckle to himself. How much is in in the little dish? Oh, uh, probably 80, 85 gold. Roos will pocket all of it and say, <laughs> No, I don't want you to turn your eye away from me. I want to talk to you. As you sit there and stare at this statue, um, you recognize right away that... I mean, the statue didn't really move. It was some kind of a spell, some kind of a glamour, some kind of a little trick. Yeah, of course. And it was <laughs> it was actually pretty ridiculous when you think about it. And you stay there for a little bit. And then you see a little shift, a little change. And it's not just in the statue in front of you. It's in the whole room. Almost like fog starts to creep in underneath the door. And actually, there's two doors. There's one door that leads outside that you came in. There's another door that leads further into Balth's side of the temple. And it's almost like fog or mist. It's kind of on the edge of your perception has started to curl in under those doors. And just kind of give that foggy kind of fuzzy outline at the edge, the periphery of your vision. And you see... 
the statue, this, this face, the eyes turn and look at you. And while this, this sculpture was very, very well done, um, suddenly you see more life in it. And the mouth doesn't move, but the face does. And Roos, in your mind, you hear a voice. And the voice is quiet, yet so loud at the same time. It's like you're straining to hear what is said. At the same time, it deafens you to anything else going on. And the voice says, ask your question, but there must be balance for the knowledge gained. Is the inevitable inevitable? Is the inevitable a rebalancing of the scales? Or will will it throw the scales off balance? Before you ask your question, I want you to make an insight check. Okay. Roos didn't get much sleep, so he's not great today. Hey, but I rolled... I rolled two 11s, so it's a 19. 19. Um, You get the distinct impression that asking a question and expecting an answer, that this person will be honest with you and give you that information, but the price paid will be negative. Um, And in game terms, because you rolled well, I'll tell you what that means. For every question that you ask... That will give me, Paul, either the option to impose advantage or disadvantage in the future at one time, or I get to add a D10 to one of my rolls or take a D10 (laughs) away from one of your rolls. Okay? That's nuts. I love it. I love it. For each question, I can do one of those things one time. Okay. But I can choose whenever the hell I want to do it. Okay. Okay. Okay? So did you still want to ask your question? Yes. Okay. So your question was, is the is the inevitable a rebalancing of the scales or will it throw the scales off balance? The voice says, the inevitable is the end. And the end will come. It is a certainty. Every bit as certain as the sun burning out. It will happen. The question, dear Roos, is not if, but when. And if now, then why now? If the inevitable is the end, that is the end of balance. I have two more questions. And I know this is giving you a lot of power over me in the future, Paul. No, Jaffa. <laughs> Jaffa. Um, Taking over us. <laughs> This will only affect Roos. This won't affect the rest of the party. <laughs> Did you, Jaffa, sit by and let Iramiel work his, do his machinations? Or did you actively fight against him? She says, a fighter I am not. But I did all in my power to ensure that the scales did not tip too severely to one side. It was... A close one. And the scale has never truly balanced out again. Even now, it tips further and further from balance. I still do what I can to create balance, but my efforts are not enough. 
as she is saying this, you see this simple but very sturdy scale um, just kind of appear on the dais in front. Of, you know it's not really there, but you can see it. And it's got one tray high up in the air upon which rests uh, the globe of Pavantis. Yes, Pavantis is a globe, is a, is a sphere. <laughs> That's and, been established since we found the library. Yes. And the other tray is down low, almost, almost touching the ground. And it contains this roiling mass of impenetrable gray, dark fog. Okay. One more question. I do have one more question. Um, Roos will begin unbuttoning his sweater vest to show his tattoo. And he will show that the, the scales on his tattoo are imbalanced. And he'll say, what should I do to rebalance my own scales? She says, I'll give this one to you for free. Because I do not know. But it seems that you have gained a little. At least now your scale can tip. Hmm. You've given me much to think on. Thank you, Lady Jaffa. I'm sorry I couldn't speak earlier. I didn't have a mouth. And then you see the fog start to almost like suck back underneath the doors and the light brightens up in here again the statue it's almost like the light changes and the statue didn't really change at all but the light makes it look less real again and Roos is standing in front of this statue this uh, relief of Jaffa's face maybe with more questions than he came in here with but that's where we're going to stop for tonight you didn't have us go out to the uh, poker tables and see that Pine accidentally found a strip poker table and he's sitting there with 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 just like a, a sock over his crotch. Only a bow tie on. Uh, <laughs> One more hand. I can win it all back. Oh, gosh. Mr. Pine, this is not strip poker. You helped me to keep taking your clothes off. I played I play poker in the military. Pine, that's the ATM machine. <laughs> I keep losing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, guys, thank you so much for uh, playing and thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you like what we're doing. Uh, go check out our Discord. You can chat with us about this episode as well as other episodes. Share fan art, share theories, all that fun stuff. Don't forget we have a shop over at 12sidedguys.com. And until we get together next time, we hope you have a great time. <laughs>